Welcome to the ISA's Arbor Views podcast, a series bringing you conversations with researchers and tree care experts about current issues in arboriculture. I'm Mark Hartley, your host, and this episode of Arbor Views, I'm joined by Dr. Kim Coder, Professor of Tree Biology and Health Care at the University of Georgia, United States, and distinguished author. Kim has written over 400 articles and other publications on topics of trees and their environments. He is a former president of the ISA and has received three international awards recognising his achievements, research and education in the arboricultural profession. Today he joins me to talk about physiology, from green stuff to food stuff. Kim, we're looking at uh, trees and green stuff, that's chlorophyll and sunlight. How, how, uh, how does that affect us as arborists? Well, the, the centerpiece of life in a, in a tree, the thing that we manage, the thing we manipulate, all comes back to uh, the chlorophyll in the leaf, the leaf in the crown, and we manage light. We paint with light uh, and we paint with shade uh, in our trees. And we manipulate how the leaves are held, how the crown is held. Uh, we change shapes, we change how it moves in the wind or doesn't. Uh, potential failure we can mitigate, uh, the, all the benefits that we derive from uh, trees, many of those things actually um, are a proxy for how healthy the crown is, how healthy the green stuff is. And by adding things to the site, enriching the site, uh, we can make bigger, stronger, healthier trees. And that's what uh, arbor care, uh, health care is all about. Obviously, if we don't understand how the tree works, we can possibly do the reverse as, as well. We can make things worse for the tree. We can make them terribly worse. And part of that is everyone's minds, in everyone's mind's eye, they have a, a model of what a tree is. And sometimes we have models that are incorrect or a little in error, and so we make terrible mistakes with trees um, uh, sometimes. One of the things is, for example, water. Water is, um, uh, makes up about uh, 78 to 82% of the entire weight mass of the tree. We did an examination across uh, many different types of trees and sites and found out that 80%, 80% of all the variation in tree growth was water related. So it was either drainage, the amount of water, um, um, or, in essence, an aeration process, which is part of water. If 80% of all variation in tree growth is water-related, then there's a lot of things that's just trivia, just, just minutia. So if you can manage the big things first, and then the next biggest thing, and then the next biggest thing, that's great. Some of our models that we have, for example, when you look at a tree, if we had infrared vision, we could see that in a nice sunny day, it's a fountain of water. It's sitting out there and below the leaves coming from that crown is just a bubbling cauldron of water a vapor coming out of that tree. And just like a, a, the fountains in Rome or anywhere else, uh, instead of a liquid water fountain, there it's a water vapor fountain massively producing uh, a water, or letting go water vapor in as part of how it works. So it's a hydraulic system in one case. 
The other thing that we could see if we looked even closer then is at the same time we are like a vacuum cleaner in that tree pulling in carbon dioxide, which is so minute um, uh, of level in our atmosphere, the, the, the tree has to really open up a lot of surface area to get enough carbon dioxide in to make a living. And so some of these models and how you think about a tree, can you manipulate the water? Can you manipulate the carbon dioxide that goes to photosynthesis? Can we manipulate the natural resources from the soil? Can we enrich it with nitrogen? Can we put a little bit more phosphorus on it? it it's how we look at the models for the tree and how we can manipulate those different things in a holistic sense. Now, we can make a cookbook and say, well, you know, today is Thursday in April. I'm supposed to fertilize. Well, I don't know if you're supposed to or not. Did the tree tell you that? And so we are getting better and better research about photosynthesis and respiration that tells us the best time to do things and the worst time to do things. And that comes back to a lot of the procedures uh, that we do. We know when um, uh, the tree is first starting up, we shouldn't be out there pruning. We shouldn't be changing how the tree growth regulators and the carbohydrate manipulate uh, or are manipulated within the tree to maximize tree growth. Um, there are a number of things like that, that if, if we understand and develop an awareness about how that tree is working, um, uh, both us and the tree will be much better off because we have a tendency to do too much um, that is invasive and too much that it's something that really doesn't need to be done. The tree will take care of it if you're patient enough on, on some items. And we need to know what to fix now and what maybe we should be more patient with. So you started by saying that water was one of those critical issues. It tend to, what's happening below the ground from the plant's perspective tends to be having a big effect on what's happening above the ground. As, as an arborist, what should we be doing? Should we be going out and putting our finger in the soil or should we be getting you know, an electron-neutron probe and getting accurate readings? How should we, as, as practical guys out in the field, what should be our first step there? Well, we, we, when we look at the, the tree and the soil, the, the, the constraint of the soil is the thing that we run into most often because many of us have uh, worked on soils that come from agronomic or horticultural crops and it, it's a, a beautiful, friable soil and it's just gorgeous soil. We don't get to work with that soil usually in urban situations and urban trees. We get to work with things that are highly compacted, many more anaerobic spaces that have little oxygen in it and uh, real poor drainage. Um, so some of the things that we could do is minimize constraint, not try to add things back in. Um, sometimes if you have drainage constraints and you add more water, saying, well, you know, more water is better, right? No, that's gonna make it worse. And so if we can concentrate on eliminating the constraint to tree life, the tree will take care of that, the rest of it itself. So I'm very leery about uh, enriching sites with things um, when 
you haven't removed some of the other major constraints. People will worry about, you know, the the quarter of 1% that we could, uh, of tree life that we could add in nitrogen and put it on a site that's highly compacted, no drainage, and even the turf grass won't grow there. Well, I think we're missing a bigger picture there. And we need to eliminate constraint first. Then we can think about ecological enrichment. And ecological enrichment doesn't have to be this thing. It could be a series of small changes in organic matter, in uh, the trophic levels that are there. You can add organisms. Uh, uh, Do things that increase the viability of the root ecology, and you greatly increase the chances of the tree making it. So you're talking about almost going back to a a natural forest model in some ways. It, It is, except that with single tree, the difference between single tree and forest in a soil is that we have no other tree to uh, no other shrubs or any other level of plant or animal to help protect the soil of the single tree. The single tree is in um, um, kind of a, a ecological desert in many cases. And so some of the forest stuff that depends on a system, that system doesn't work in a five by five planter in the middle of the sidewalk. So we have to make some enriching things to, to help it, and we have to eliminate some of the constraints to help the tree, um, because we don't have this all these processes that we would have in, say, a forest. So, I'm I'm just an arborist, and I'm the guy that's out there doing the work. How do I get my models right in my mind? Where where do I go about getting these models corrected? Well, and most arborists that have been uh, uh, at this any time in their in their hearts of heart. They already know these models. They Many of them can't voice them. And you wouldn't be able to write them down and say, well, it goes here, it goes there. And then. But many people that work with trees um, know when they're doing harm, when it's neutral, and when they're doing good. The problem I have is sometimes uh, we do things and we think we're doing good, and we still don't get the result that we want. So we do some more of the stuff that we thought was good, and we get the same result. Well, maybe we need to look back at that and say, you know, I don't know if that was beneficial. That was neutral or bad, and then you added more to it, which made it worse. And I guess my point is, I have met many, many um, hundreds and hundreds of arborists, and uh, most of them figure out very quickly, especially with new techniques and things, what really is going to work and what won't? They, in their mind, they already have those models of how a tree works. Some of education and certification and moving and in, with professional improvement, going to conferences and things, is saying, I'm going to see if I can expand this little area of my mind, this little area of what I think I know about trees, and test it. Is that... Do I really know what it means to have a tree bend and twist in the wind? Well, let's let me listen to some guys, and then I'll I'll work that out myself. Does that and the trees I work with, the clients, the sites, everything I do, does that make sense? And um, I find a lot of these folks um, that are professional tree healthcare workers, they already have it down, and all they need 
is a, a little bit of educational support and keeping up with changes as we find new things you need to add to your your internal model of how you know that tree works that sounds like wonderful advice unfortunately we're going to run out of time thanks dr Cutter. you're welcome yes.